This week at Macy's, get an extra 25% off the season's latest styles with your coupon or Macy's card. That's on top of already great savings, like 20 to 50% off Ink, DKNY, Clubroom, and more of your favorite designers for him and her. Get 30% off one pair, 40% off two pairs of boots, shoes, and booties. And prep your kitchen with 20 to 50% off roasting pans, cookware, and more. Plus, Star Rewards members earn rewards faster during Star Money bonus days, now at Macy's. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply. This week at Macy's, get an extra 25% off the season's latest styles with your coupon or Macy's card. That's on top of already great savings, like 20 to 50% off Ink, DKNY, Clubroom, and more of your favorite designers for him and her. Get 30% off one pair, 40% off two pairs of boots, shoes, and booties. And prep your kitchen with 20 to 50% off roasting pans, cookware, and more. Plus, Star Rewards members earn rewards faster during Star Money bonus days, now at Macy's. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices, exclusions apply. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. We have such sights to show you. Strange. Except I can't hear your clap. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of waveforms. <laughs> Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. Laughing over there is Eric Morgan. Hello. Chuckling lightly over there is Vanessa Williams. What's wrong with you? I just laugh quietly. That's all. All right. I'm Kelly Young. Hey, you guys. I'm almost done with Hannibal. Oh, my gosh. Already? Yes. Whoa. I just, I just kept watching. How many seasons are there? Only three. I'm on season three, episode eight. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they're God. short seasons. They're not like normal Yeah, they're 13, TV 13 episodes or... each. Oh, my gosh. You're going to kill it. You're going to kill it like tonight. Uh, I don't know if Probably I can do not. that. <laughs> Just sit there. Uh... Yeah. But that's not what I really wanted to talk about. I want to talk about Dark season three. Just I... showed up on Netflix this weekend. Or last the weekend. German show? Yes. Did you, Vanessa, did you watch this? Um, I, so I watched the first episode and I realized I'd have to read it and I didn't want to watch it with the dubbing. So I kept putting it off and I have not seen it. So, okay. Well, Eric's going to kill me, but I'm listening to the dubbing. I'm not reading really? it this time. Yeah. Wow. Is it um, well dubbed? I mean, it can be done well. Yeah. It's, it's not too shabby, but quite honestly, uh, the subtitles are too small for me to read. I'm, <laughs> I'm 71 now and I can't, <laughs> yeah, I can't read it from the distance from my couch. And I was like, fuck this. Yeah. And partly also, I just need a new prescription on my glasses. Yeah. <laughs> can you read this line? Fuck you, doc. <laughs> Anyway, if you haven't watched this show, it is a um, time travel show that is uh, kind of masquerading as a murder mystery. And if you only watch the first episode, you don't even realize that's what it's about. You think it's a murder show. And then at the end of the second episode, it becomes a time travel show. It's funny because, like, I I knew that, but only because so many people were so excited about it. Yeah, I loved it. I like it more than Stranger Things. I think it's just spectacular and i was really pleased to see season three drop so now i gotta burn through hannibal so i can get to <laughs> dark i did watch the first episode of season three and it was good all right there you go 
Um, well, I checked out, and I think you guys might have talked about this already, um, Vast is the Night. Yeah. Yeah. So I finally, I'm, I feel like I'm always two steps behind. If you were a killer, <laughs> I would never get you. <laughs> Vast of Night, I believe. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank you. Vast of Night. Um, and yeah, like it was, it was really interesting because it starts off so... So much like a Gilmore Girls episode. Oh, really? Yeah, very much so, where they're just moving the camera <laughs> through a space and then people are talking very quickly and there's some kind of activity going on. All of that is 100% very, very Gilmore Girls, like right out of the book. <laughs> wow. Um, but super fun. And um, yeah, I I don't really have anything bad to say about it. I thought it was, I thought it was a really neat movie. And yeah. I thought it was definitely a filmmaker's movie. As you're watching some of those shots. Yeah, oh my like, gosh. Whoa. I'm not really sure how they did the yeah. one that is, what is it, a drone? I don't know even what it is. It's so low to the ground. It's low to the ground, but also at one point it goes through a building and out the window. Yeah. And then goes low to the ground. I was like, is this all digital or what? How are they doing Probably that? some kind of drone combo digital thing. You know, That's you true. see all these cool things, though. I could see if it was low enough budget. The cameraman in the building just hands it off to a cameraman outside the window, oh, and it yeah, continues. So, yeah, I've seen that Eurovision episode. Well, that was uh, also um, uh, the Dead movie, the Cut of the Dead. Oh, of course, yeah, some stuff one like Cut of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Well, I was a little amiss last week. Sorry to Gwen and Brian. I didn't mention the amazing online version they pulled off for the Portland Horror Film Festival. Right. Oh, that's right. Uh, if you're going to, if you have to go to streaming, which, you know, they did this year, mm-hmm. I think they've, I've seen a few film festivals that have been streamed. I think they've done probably one of the best versions. Steve and Gordon and the Bone Bow was kind of fun just because they were in it so much, but theirs was a start, go, done. What Portland had, they went through the Hollywood Theater and they did tickets and they set up to where once a movie started or a shorts block started, you had 24 hours to watch it. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. You could pause it. You could fast forward. You could rewind. And uh, I really liked that because they showed a lot of stuff. They had a full festival, like four or five blocks of shorts a night and or a feature or two. So I'm like... It's a long time to sit. That's and that's the drawback of a streaming festival. It's a long time to sit in front of your computer. Right. Yeah. I'm more willing to sit on my ass in a film festival theater for four or five hours for two or three blocks of film. There's got to be a way you could uh, cast this to your television or something, though, right? Make it a little more comfortable. Well, I watched it upstairs because Dina's like, oh, "Go ahead, go watch it. I'll watch you what I want." I'll see to you in here. 14 hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they had. Um, they had a couple standout films, uh, Making Monsters and Uncle Peckerhead. Ooh. Oh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Making Monsters is a neat kind of atmospheric uh, sort of found footage, but not really film that's pretty well done. And Uncle Peckerhead is about a band that uh, is traveling and the guy that's their main roadie is like a serial killer or something. Oh. And it's it's actually quite good and a lot of fun. And they had a hell of a lot of good shorts, so... Well done. Well done, Portland, man. They really pulled off an interesting version of what you have to do right now in the world. Well, cool. I know Gwen listens to the show. Oh. And uh, every once in a while, she will comment on something. And she's got a podcast coming up soon, too. So oh, really? we'll be Yeah, we'll be checking that out. Nice. You know, one of the things I was wondering with all of the the cancel culture going on and all of this stuff going on, how long before 
HP Lovecraft Film Festival has to change its name. What? Well, they seem to have weathered a fairly big, a few big waves and storms of Lovecraft problems. Is yeah, it but that came. Yeah, because okay. Lovecraft yeah, is a, a problematic very, human being. Yeah, he's Racist. not a great guy. Yeah. Yes. But uh, they've weathered that from the Lovecraft community. True. And now the world is in on this. So. Oh, I see what you mean. Like if they do a full streaming version of it this year, what? I'm just, I'm just yeah. curious. I know the Lovecraft Bar is no longer the Lovecraft Bar. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I find that very interesting though, because there are just so many Lovecraft video games that have been coming out, and I know yeah. they don't call themselves like HP Lovecraft, right. wandering through a sunken city. Well, that's what I think is. <laughs> but, you know, it's a little silly, but I think that's what the problem is. Is his name giving him like a shout right mm. which also if um lovecraft country does extremely well could be interesting to see what comes out of that as reactions <laughs> right what's lovecraft country hbo's new series by um uh, peels involved yeah jordan, jordan oh, peel sure. based on the book by matt ruff who lives here in washington oh, okay it's basically a, uh, it takes place during the 50s in America with the, and it, it focuses on the Jim Crow laws. Yeah. Oh, and then there are sure. some Lovecraftian elements that keep, yeah. you know, dropping in. It's, it's almost set up like an anthology, wouldn't you say? Yeah, the book's very anthology-like where there's, a th it's a very strong through line. Sure. But uh, some of the stories are better than others. and But the ones that are good are really, really good. It's a good it's a good book overall. And that last trailer that popped up yeah. looked fucking great. Yeah, it so It'll be interesting to see how it does. Right. <laughs> but because that basically is focused on the racism, I think that they can slide. Yeah. yeah. So. If, yeah, exactly. If they're addressing it head on and if Peel's like a big part of it, then. Right. Uh, guess what I watched that I had never seen before, you guys? My Little Pony. No, I've seen many, many of those. Uh, pony Room. It's in back. I've never seen it. Right. I am what you call a brony. No. Bronies before honies. You know what I mean? Does that mean you dress up? Are you a clopper? Wait a second. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> You've gone down rough territory, sir. But that was a oh, furry. Yeah. It's a whole nother thing. All right, we're getting off topic. Obviously, I, we really aren't because we have no freaking idea what you're talking about. So go wait ahead. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. This I is ringing you. bells of cloppers and huffers. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's a... No, there's probably... Somebody who actually heifer. knows is going to be not, not a huffer, Kelly. It's a wow. swiffer or yeah. something like that. It's something it's like a that. a swiffer wedge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I watched a movie, Vanessa, that you've never even heard of, and Eric, that you probably have heard of and it's never very saw. Judgmental. It's called Shocker. The Wildlife. You're right, I have. 1984. It was written by Cameron Crowe. Okay. It was kind of a sequel to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, at least a spiritual sequel. Weird. It's got Chris Penn instead of Sean Penn. <laughs> sure, one-to-one -one swap. And it's got, I wish I had written it down because now all the names are um, are leaving me. Um, Leah Thompson and who was the original uh, Marty McFly before? Uh, Eric Chris. Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, thank you. And 
it's the same setup as... Oh, yeah, I remember that film. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's the same setup as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It follows a couple of graduates, high school graduates now, who are kind of going and making their way into the world. And it wasn't great, but it was kind of fun. But the most interesting part for me was that um, the credit pops up, original score by Edward Van Halen. And I was like, oh, this Whoa. is interesting. 1980, oh, I think this is 1985. So I was like, okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, the music pops on, and it's clearly Eddie Van Halen. It's got some pretty groovy licks in there, uh, an obvious drum machine, so it's just Eddie. <laughs> but I was listening to this stuff, and some of the songs are early versions of later Van Halen songs with Sammy. Really? Yeah, there was definitely uh, a version of Right Now that oh. played in one scene. And I was like, wow, holy cow. He was recycling some of his guitar licks. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was pretty It was pretty crazy. It, it was the high point of the movie was like, listening to the soundtrack. Nobody really saw this movie, so I'm just going to use this song here. Oh, I think that was probably his thought process. Because nobody did. The movie was a huge flop, yeah, and it's impossible to find. I found it through nefarious means. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. I definitely didn't come across it. But I don't think it's the kind of film I would... Unless it's like a t bunch of teens murdering each other, I probably have no, been no, interested. No, no this Depends is not... on how you use murdering. I guess you could, you know, <laughs> euphemistically use the term. Oh, this is not a Vanessa <laughs> movie. Murdered, bro. And in fact, uh, Chris Penn's character is... Uh, we've been talking problematic. Well, he is problematic. Sure. <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> uh, it does have uh, probably the first appearance of Jenny Wright. Oh. From uh, Near Dark. So oh, okay. I thought that was interesting. She's one of the main characters. Yeah. Very pretty. Probably the best actor, to be honest. Well, her and Eric Stoltz were Stoltz pretty were solid. Leah Thompson was given a kind of uh, lackluster role, and so, but I'm a huge fan of her. So. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Anything else? Um, sure. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been kind of a weird week, and all the movies I've seen are just like films I got on Netflix for my mom. Sure, uh -huh. <laughs> so for some, my mom. <laughs> no, really, there's some bad movies. Um, I, all I will say is, please, God, don't don't watch Playing with Fire, no matter how much you think like it might be okay. Is that a new movie? It's, yeah, it's pretty new. It's like a comedy, like a family comedy with. Um, Who's the hot, hot, cool wrestler who's doing acting now? John Cena? Yeah, with John Cena as the star. Weird. He's, I've seen him a couple of things and he's really entertaining. He's very entertaining, not, not but so the film is horrible. Uh, yeah. It's just horrible. It's very slapstick. It's just, it feels uh, like a 90s, like, family film. It feels like Beethoven. Oh. And Ouch. this era does, yeah, it, this era does not look kindly towards that so well it, not only that but after watching the rock in tooth fairy and hulk hogan in suburban commando oh, wouldn't wow. every wrestler go i can't do this movie you would yeah. think you would think and it, his role is so antithetical to who he is normally like the guy's like a super stuck up like just uh very like type a character that it just doesn't feel it feels like yeah. jarring the whole time it, you can see the lines where he's acting and it's just <laughs> very poorly cut frankly um but yeah so on the flip side of that i saw a lego movie 
<laughs> with my mom. The first she hadn't one? seen it. Yeah. That's a great it's film. It's so good. Yeah, it, is it is such a good movie. Like, as far as family films go, it is almost, it's almost perfect. That's it's just super one. fun to watch. It has a great message underneath. Should uh, get the Batman Lego movie. Oh, we're Lego Movie Two is the next one, and then I'll get her on the Batman Lego. But Lego (laughs) Movie Two just arrived, so the love diminishing returns on these Lego movies. But that first one was pretty, pretty damn solid. Pretty fantastic. The Batman one's fun. I like uh, what's his name as the bat as the guy who did the voice of Batman. Yeah, Will 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 Arnett. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I almost said Arquette. The the problem (laughs) with it is the jokes come so quickly that it's almost impossible to hear them all. Yeah. So yeah, and everything's so like yeah, everything generally is just so fast between the visuals and the audio. It's it can be pretty tough. Was your mom singing "Everything Is Awesome" afterwards? She was not, but she did immediately call my brother and ask him if my nephew had seen it because she was going to show it to him like that next day. Otherwise, nice. wow, she's yeah. like, I want to watch this again. Yes, and I need an excuse. Hell, I saw it in the theater, man. <laughs> I know. I remember you sending me a text saying so this movie had no right being as fun as it is. I had the same experience. Yeah, I saw it in the theater and was like, Oh my god, that was good. Speaking of good, but not new, the, I don't know, whenever the mood strikes us, watching of the Buffy musical occurred a couple nights ago. Oh. God damn, that is so good. I have not seen that in so long. It's insanely well written. Uh, As far as the, an episode that happens in the middle of a season, it's got to be one of the great turn the season episodes. Yeah, it's got a... Where the season reveal at the end, yeah. Where the season was sort of rough, but not real dark. And by the end of that, you're going, "Oh boy!" And the the show just got dark after that. Episode. Every yeah. every TV series wants to do their musical episode. Mm-hmm. This is the only one where it made sense that everybody yes. was singing, and they reference why everybody is suddenly singing, and <laughs> yeah. they realize they're stuck in a musical. Yeah, it's pretty brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, since I've seen it on things like Sabrina and Archie or whatever that show is, Riverdale, um, it's not as well. No, it doesn't I, make nearly as much sense. And that yeah. Buffy musical episode set a high bar, considering uh, like half the cast can't sing very well. It's still oh, so yeah. good, yeah. despite it. Yeah, they, they worked hard to write to their singing ability. Yeah. And suddenly it's like... So the, the, I mean, she's a main character, but not a main character. Suddenly Tara's got two or three songs. Right, yes. because she can sing. Yeah. yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller's voice is a little... Yeah, she's... Unfortunately, she's the, probably the weakest I, singer. I but. seem to remember, yeah, Willow not having a particularly good voice. But of course, you know, Giles, who is in a band. Right. Yeah, he's, um, he's great. Yeah. And Spike's an okay singer, but he does it so well. The way he sings I the song, know. it's just like, oh, and he's also in awesome. a band. That guy, mm-hmm. um, James Marsters, and he like, sings better now. I saw him live when he was at Emerald City. Oh, really? A few years ago, and he's actually very good live. That was a really good. I, show. I was gonna wow. say because, like, I was surprised watching it. Like, wow, why aren't you better? Considering this is what you do, that's fantastic. That makes me really want to go back and like watch all of Buffy. That's that's. Generally, what Dina says afterwards, is it time to watch it again? It's like, because I'm I'm so much, oh, there's so much new shit. Right. I know. Watch new stuff. But it is well worth 
I don't know how many times we've gone through it. I know. I I think I've probably watched it at least 15 times all the way through as well. Like that was my high school and college years like over and over and over again. But like those first couple seasons are just such an uphill battle. Yes. Yeah. The first season is a little rough. Yeah. Like even though you're in the episode and you're like, oh yeah, this one's good. And it's just like, oh, actually I, but I know, I know who the monster is. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it was it was very monster of the week until they yes. kind of figured out that they Let's didn't need to do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cool. Anything else? No, I think that's another I, real quick one. I'm going to oh, throw sure, out. Oh, sure. Please. Yeah, figured out HBO Max has all of Doctor Who. Well, all of the newer seasons of and Doctor Who. All eight Harry Potters because it keeps advertising yeah, to me. Yeah, they do that a lot. I well, got a I, text on my phone today that said. Do you want to watch Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows? <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was just some kind of notification that popped up. Weird. <laughs> uh, no. Oh, no, Not right now, thanks. I'm good. But cheers. When the Capaldi took over, sure. I something happened with the recording, or maybe that's when we cut the cord, and I missed everything since then. I haven't seen any of his either. And, uh, oh, man, it's still so freaking good. It's such an incredibly well-written show. I've it is so much fun. I've seen that actor in In the Loop, so. <laughs> which is quite a different part. Yeah. So I'm just like, I can't imagine him not just swearing and being angry the whole time. Well, he's a fairly angry doctor, but okay. not really angry, but definitely not swearing. <laughs> well, all right, guys, should we take a little break? And then when we come back, we can talk about Cursed Objects. This week at Macy's, get an extra 25% off the season's latest styles with your coupon or Macy's card. That's on top of already great savings, like 20 to 50% off Ink, DKNY, Clubroom, and more of your favorite designers for him and her. Get 30% off one pair, 40% off two pairs of boots, shoes, and booties. And prep your kitchen with 20 to 50% off roasting pans, cookware, and more. Plus, Star Rewards members earn rewards faster during Star Money bonus days, now at Macy's. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. movies in HD, unless you're watching on Blu-ray High Def. A lot has changed. You're right. Are we alone? No. John Dillon. I hear you like I want anytime. You woke up the baby. Blu-ray High Def is a freaking awesome picture. Sound that will blow the roof off your living room. Go find a way to Earth. It's like discovering your favorite films all over again for the first time. I will bring this fight to your doorstep. Connect to the Internet for more content, more interactivity, and more special features than ever before. It's going to change your life in ways you can't possibly imagine. Tell. I don't know. Okay. I, 
can feel it in my bones. I feel like my bones are here, and I am, in fact, back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, then, since this is your choice for subgenres, yes. why don't you go first? Absolutely. So this week we're doing cursed objects. As I mentioned last week, I was kind of trying to find an excuse to pick the pick that I picked, which is <laughs> the fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. This is KB Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here. And let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today. And keep a watch out for that fog bank heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Jesus. week's topic of which this is a screen factory release was not a good enough reason for you to do it then i actually i really considered it but almost every john carpenter <laughs> movie is under screen factory and it, it's like choosing one of your children <laughs> it's just too hard yeah i felt you like you chose I, none of your children yeah. and they all died by nazi hand it's I okay I'll, I'll get there eventually i'll get to the, i'll save them each from an attic one by one but <laughs> We're going to start off with the fog. Um, and and the reason for that, honestly, like, I don't know what it is about the fog, but it's it's been one of my favorite John Carpenter films. And I, I think it's honestly because it's the one that probably really introduced me to him. So I think it gave wow. me the Carpenter fever. <laughs> it was like, oh, hey, there's like a really good director out there that you might really enjoy because you enjoyed this film for some reason. 
so this film came out February 1980. Um, it got, as far as Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 74% critics, 64% audience. Um, I just realized that I completely forgot to look up the budget. So I have no <laughs> idea if it was a financial success or not. Uh, let's just say it didn't probably do that well, I'm assuming. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the thing that's cursed in this, um, and I do think it's important that we each explain what is cursed at some point. Um, this has both the town and gold cursed within it. And possibly people. So it's got a big old curse. There's a whole curse situation going down. Um, the uh, let me just interrupt you. Yeah. A budget of one point one million. Okay. A box office of twenty one point three million. Oh my gosh! It did super well. Okay. Well, right. way to go, the fog. <laughs> wow. I knew it was super low budget. Um, and we can talk about some of that stuff later. Yeah, they did. They did a great job with this movie. Um, it's directed by John Carpenter. Um, if you don't know what he's done, then I don't even want to look at you. <laughs> you can look at me because because of you, I have a shirt that says directed by John Carpenter. Yay! There you go. Yeah. I should have worn my, I was going to wear my Deborah Hill shirt and I totally forgot to because it's produced by Deborah Hill, who is a longtime collaborator, um, super awesome, and actually co-wrote this film with him. So he wrote the male parts and she wrote the female parts. Oh, interesting. From uh, what I remember from their talking about it over the commentary of the film. So uh, you have a really great cast in here. Adrian Barboa, um, <laughs> who's extremely prolific. If you guys haven't seen Maud, let me tell you, she is something else. <laughs> She's also in Escape from New York and the TV film Someone is Watching Me, which is where she and John Carpenter started their collaboration. Uh, She's also in Swamp Thing, and she is the voice of the computer in The Thing, uncredited. Also... She's the voice of Catwoman in Batman, the animated series, and pretty much every Batman project since then. Wow, I didn't know that. Right? She also does a bunch of voicing for other video games like God of War, Halo, um, more films. Had a good voice. Yeah, she's such an incredible (laughs) voice. Um, And and she's going to be in an upcoming project called um, Bring Me the Head of Lance Henriksen. Oh. Very fitting. She was also uh, Billy in Creepshow. That's correct. Just call I mean, me Billy. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a drifter in this movie, played by none other than Jamie Lee Curtis. You might remember her from Halloween. <laughs> I don't think I should say anything else about that. And also her mother is in this, Janet Lee, uh, who you might know from Psycho. She is playing the mayor. You also have uh, Nick Castle, the fisherman. Also in this film, we have uh, Nick Castle, fisherman, everyman, Played by Tom Thrill Me Atkins. Wait a second. So his name in this is Nick Castle. Uh huh. Oh, really? And Nick yep. Castle is the actor who played The Shape. Yep. So he. John Carpenter loves doing this kind of stuff. He named yep. his character right. after the actor, actor who played 
Michael Myers. A bunch of the characters are actually named after different people in the production. He has all kinds of Easter eggs all throughout this film. <laughs> Enough that like I just stopped writing them down because I was like, oh, this is too much. <laughs> but should you be so inclined to look up the trivia section of IMDb, you will find many more. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The like street names, people names, all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, he... Uh, he's great, totally awesome. And we also have a, a really interesting character with uh, Dan O'Bannon, um, uh, played by Charles Cyphers. This is going to be very confusing. So, sorry, did I say The character's name is Dan O'Bannon? Yes. <laughs> Shit. I know. <laughs> I know. Anyway, he's who is probably one of the people that I've heard in some of the most of uh, John Carpenter's films because he's in uh, Halloween is Bracket, Assault on Precinct 13 as Starker, Someone is Watching Me, Elvis, The Fog, Escape from New York, Halloween 2, the upcoming Halloween Kills, and Coach Carl on Buffy, the Vampire Slay- Slayers episode, Go Fish. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty neat. He must have had some real big dirt on Carpenter. Oh, the man, yeah. <laughs> Just kept showing up. I mean, Carpenter's got his favorites for sure. Um, and then we have Father Malone, played by Hal Hol- um, Holbrook, who you might remember as Deep Throat from All the President's Men. So this film, the plot. <laughs> we begin an old man reading around a campfire to some kids and quoting... I think he does like an Edgar Allan Poe uh, poem briefly, but he kind of gives this legend about these um, the ship that went down and um, this the story of these people who who drowned, but they come back at midnight and they haunt and something something something. It's it's really hard to follow, frankly, because it gets it's a long monologue and it's just very dark and it just slowly zooms in and you kind of sleepy to his voice so it's taken me like four or five times to figure out what he's saying (laughs) through watching this i frankly half the time forget it's there but it's there um and then we begin with this really cool scene of this fog rolling into the town and things kind of freaking out so we see car alarms is it car alarms alarms and things going off um bottles breaking you get a gas station the gas the pump pump falls off of its pump holder and starts spraying gas everywhere um just going crazy like mechanical things moving up and down dogs barking like and and you know there's dogs and cats sleeping together mass hysteria (laughs) (laughs) it's so true um and uh and you know there's there's a couple of people i think who get some knocks on their door but by the time they show up midnight has come and gone the witching hour has passed and there's nothing there but something is obviously in this fog we have a woman that same night arriving in town. Uh, she's a drifter, and she gets picked up by Tom Atkins. This is Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, their character names are too confusing, so I'm just going to call them their acting names. <laughs> um, uh, and she says, oh, you know, I'm kind of bad luck. And in that moment, the car windows, like, explode, and there's just, like, glass everywhere. <laughs> um, so something, something strange is going on. Um, Adrian Barboa were introduced is a radio DJ. Barboa? How do you say it? Barbeau? Barbeau. Barbeau. Boom, boom, Barbeau. <laughs> boom, boom, Barbeau. Bo. Barbeau. Okay. Does this also have Donald Pleasance in it? Or? <laughs> no. Pleasance and Barboa. There you go. Would be a good team. 
our yeah. Adrian Barbeau is um, a radio DJ for a jazz station in the lighthouse. She's a single mom. She's kind of put everything into this uh, jazz station. And it's kind of her whole life. And she's uh, the only station in town. It seems <laughs> no one listens to anything else other than this. And um, she gets this really cool bird's eye view down of kind of the town and of the shore. And she can see all the ships that are coming and going. She has this weatherman who has a total thing for her. It's really, I find it super fun. He keeps calling her during the kind of commercial breaks or while the songs are going to give her like the news so she can update the town on the weather. And he's always like, so you going to do that party tonight? And she's like... <laughs> Oh, no, I got to go back. The song's almost over. Bye. <laughs> but they've got this really nice little like rapport going back and forth, a little flirty relationship. And he tells her that um, a fog is coming in and she's watching and she's like, yeah, it's kind of going against wind. And there is this little ship vessel, a little small fish, fishing vessel sitting out there and a bunch of guys drinking late at night and they're looking out the little porthole window listening to Stevie Nicks <laughs> on the radio and they're like, "There's she's crazy, there's no fog, there's no fog anywhere, no fog. Oh man, that chick's hot. Yeah, I saw her in the bar that one time. Ah, <laughs> man, no fog. Oh my God, there's fog. <laughs> and lo and behold, this fog comes in and with it, this enormous, it looks like what you would think of as a classical, like pirate ship. This giant ship comes and these men who are obviously otherly or dead or ghosts or something are behind it. They have these glowing green eyes and they board the fishing vessel and they just with the fog come in and kill everybody. You can't really get a good eye on what these people look like. You just know that in the fog they're there and they will murder you. Super cool. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, the town is getting ready for its 100th anniversary celebration of its founding. Janet Lee and her sassy assistant are getting the festival ready. You kind of get the sense that uh, something might happen the night of this 100th anniversary thing. Maybe, maybe bad things might come. It's sort of like a Valentine's Day anniversary celebration too it's yeah it's very similar <laughs> interesting there's kind of like a, a vengeance thing going down nice. and and we get we kind of start to get hints as to what's happening uh the priest father malone who's always in his cups <laughs> assistant will note definitely not played by the uncredited john carpenter right yeah. yep <laughs> who by the way is not a great actor nope. he really needs to as if you watch body parts i'm sorry he's body just, bags sorry body bags thank you he's really not um <laughs> fun to to watch but uh he finds like there at midnight during the all the craziness that's happening um part of his wall like falls off and in it he finds this um book and it's this diary that was kept by i believe his grandfather who is also the a priest and who had basically screwed these people over and stolen things from them and it, he was kind of making this confession of sorts so there's this idea that there's something vengeful coming through um the the boat goes missing uh the drifter and tom uh so drifter Jan uh, jamie lee curtis and tom atkins decide to go check out the boat see what's what all the dudes are super dead but look like <laughs> they've been under the sea for like a long arse time 
bring the bodies back um, and in the morgue, they're kind of waiting that the mortician is talking to um, Tom Atkins about like how long they've been dead. And hey, man, I just talked to them the other night. And meanwhile, what the body gets up one of the bodies and walks towards Jamie Lee Curtis and she turns screams. We don't know what happens. We're off camera, come back. And he, he's laying there on the floor and he's written down six will die. So now we're getting a few more clues. Also, uh, Stevie Nicks, Adrian's son, um, has been playing around on the beach and has seen a shiny gold coin in the water. And it turns into a piece of wood that says the Elizabeth Dane picks it up, takes it home. Oops. Definitely not cursed. <laughs> Definitely do not put it on your like Betamax <laughs> player in case it should leak with cursing, with curses of its cursedness. <laughs> uh, the anniversary comes around. The fog, of course, rolls into town, and in it is um, creatures who are attacking. Um, it's it's a cool film, but. I'm just going to I'm just going to go some of the through some of the likes and dislikes, because I think that's really going to sure. sum up um, what's going on here. The the things I love about it are like the mise en scene, the texture, the detail. Um, there's just a lot of little things happening. Um, I've I've talked before about it, but I just love the scene where when we, the first time we see the fog come through and the midnight, the witching hour happen there's a guy cleaning up alone in a store and he's he stops and he grabs like a milk bottle he uncaps it he drinks from it he recaps it and he puts it back (laughs) in like the sale section so you know it's just little things like that and the way like the you know the local stores decorated with all the silly ship stuff and it just feels very um fleshed out on top of that you just have these amazing characters who just you just know who they are immediately. Um, you've got, for example, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's picked up by Tom Atkins. Um, they immediately just go home and sleep together, but it's no big deal. Like it's Tom Atkins, man. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? Because it's Tom Atkins. He's the one who got you in the car. And it's Jamie Lee Curtis. So who cares where she came from? Just uh, She looks like she's 16 and he looks like he's 48. That's a little weird. It is a little weird. But I do like that they just don't make it a thing. I Halloween do. 3. That's true. Oh, God. That's true. Oh, God. That's what he does. It's true. It's it's the Atkins way. When he's not trying to kill himself. It's the Atkins diet. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. I like the premise a lot. The fog lighthouse um, setup is really neat. Like, you just never see that. Like, there's a radio station for some reason in a lighthouse, and this person has a bird's eye view of what's going on, and then that's going to come into play later. Like, it's just a really cool idea. Um, the monsters are freaking amazing. Um, the not pirates. Definitely not pirates. They're totally just lepers. Don't worry about it. Um, They're perfectly done because they probably look like crap. Honestly, they probably look terrible, but you don't know because of the way they're lit and because of the way the fog rolls in around them whenever they come out. It's just so beautifully lit, so beautifully thought through. And there's just, um, obviously the music is is great because it's John Carpenter and he does all his own stuff. Um, But there are a few details that I think it's, also lends a lot to this film. For example, like Jamie Lee Curtis is wearing a wedding ring when she gets picked up. They don't mention it, but it tells us something about her character. 
Adrian Barboa, Stevie Nicks' car is just full of crap when she's driving on her way to the lighthouse. Like, she's obviously some kind of hoarder who just collects stuff and can't help herself. There's just the commercials that they play in between the music um, and the kind of, you're listening to KAB radio. And it just <laughs> goes on all these different versions of the same thing over and over again. And it's just those things that really make this film punchy. The things I don't like, it's basically one thing, the story. <laughs> I know, it, and I wish I wish it made sense. It does not. Um, for example, six must die. And it's a revenge thing. So it's like the six people that screwed these these ghosts over sure. originally. But they're just murdering at random. There is no way those fishermen happen to be like three of the whatever, like ancestry. And they're somehow connected. No, they're just they're just killing like the, the nanny goes to answer the door and like the um, ghost is going to get him. It's like <laughs> she's not related to anybody. No, none of these people. It doesn't matter. OK. Um, why the fishermen came back from the dead makes no sense whatsoever. None of the rest of the dead people rise. Uh, there's a super weird beginning that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Why is Father Malone a drunk? They never really get into that. The characters are very siloed. It almost feels very disconnected. And because of that, uh, because you're following all these characters, when the big fog rolls into the town, it doesn't feel like a town event. It feels like only six people have to deal with this. Huh. And that's very frustrating because to make it feel larger, you want to see people like fleeing or you just want to see more activity. You want to see a movie theater clear out. You want to see the the giant event that they're hosting, just have people run into the bushes. And that just doesn't happen. Um, also, Carpenter's cameo is weird. And <laughs> the kid in it is annoying as hell. So... <laughs> <laughs> Those are the things that I don't particularly enjoy about this film. But that being said, it introduced me to Carpenter. So I just have a big, big piece of my heart that that loves this film. A couple of small pieces of trivia. Jamie Lee Curtis actually got this role. She she had requested from John Carpenter that they he give her a role other than a virgin. <laughs> because she didn't want to get typecast. So he kind of wrote this sexualized version of her in uh, for for the film. So that's why it feels a little weird. Also, um, the film originally only ended up being, let me see here, I believe it was only 60 or no, 70 minutes long. So it was too, oh, I'm sorry. It was... It was too short. It was 80 minutes. I apologize. So John Carpenter was told to go out and shoot more. And that's actually where you get the corpse rising in the morgue scene comes from that. Huh. Um, there's a, a detailed uh, death scenes um, that come in to play. Barboa on top of the lighthouse fighting off one of the like one of the lepers is from that, which I actually really like that scene, but that opening shot with the fisherman talk or the, the dude giving the story, the campfire story that was also added in. So some of the stuff that doesn't make sense to the story was actually thrown in there. And I think that that might be contributing it to it. It had a super low budget as was pointed out, but they shot on Panavision to give it a larger, grander feel. And also the distributor spent three times the budget just promoting the film. And while they were promoting it, they instilled fog, uh, installed 
fog machines in lobbies of theaters where it was being screened. Nice. I think that's, that's cool, cool as hell. That's very cool. Yeah, very, very William Castle there. Exactly. Like, they really <laughs> went for it. And I, I feel like it's important to kind of talk a little bit about uh, the drama of this. And I think it's really fun. So there, you should listen to the commentary with Deborah Hill and John Carpenter for this film. And the reason being he met, okay. He dated Deborah Hill from 19 or 1976 till 1979. He met Adrian Barbeau in 1978 on someone's watching me. He married her in 1979 this film is super awkward. <laughs> it is so unbelievably awkward. Like, I don't even know if they're in the same room when they're recording this, but like, I, there's moments where she's like, yeah, I remember that. That's my lamp. And he's like, oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> she's like, yeah, interesting. Oh, <laughs> there's just a lot of very like strange, like, oh, how did we, how did we go about doing this? Oh yeah, no, we, we did blank. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I remember that. Mm. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Ouch. <laughs> it's great. But Deborah Hill, like, they did end up continuing to collaborate together. And um, they actually went on to produce the remake of The Fog together down the line. So um, I have a ton more fun facts, but it's just because I'm obsessed and I got to stop. Oh, John Carpenter <laughs> loves uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. There. <laughs> I have... Um... Two real huge problems. I don't. I won't say that I hate this movie. Sure. That's too strong a word. Yeah. But uh, and it's not my least favorite of his movies. Those spots are reserved, saved for the Ward and Ghosts of Mars. There yes. you go. But uh, the fog then falls right there. Wow! Even below Escape from LA. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. I think. I mean, this movie is all style and sure. no substance. Uh, the the shots are beautiful. The shots of the leopard ghosts are great. They're basically just silhouettes yeah. with glowing eyes. Yeah, it's impossible for me to believe that the station that everyone is listening to and getting all their news from is a jazz station. Yes. And again, I think these limitations come from the production because that was all they could afford. That's well, why yeah, you, oh, you, you kept saying they were listening to Stevie Nicks, and I'm like, oh, what station? Oh, wait, that's her name Katie? because he couldn't name her something normal. He had to name her after a rock star and make this conversation we're having very confusing. <laughs> confusing. Yes, yeah. It's true. Here's my biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's the protagonist of this film? Well, who's the protagonist? It probably <laughs> has to be the priest. Because the, the protagonist is always the person who changes, okay. right? And no one else changes in this film other than the priest. Right. Okay. But he's not the lead. <laughs> no. <laughs> and that becomes problematic. Yeah. And not in a racist way. In a storytelling <laughs> way, you're like, wait a second, is this the main character? Yeah. Because he's not the main actor. And then you kind of want to give it to Adrian. Yes. Except that... She doesn't do anything. When the chips are laid out and her son is in danger, she makes the decision to stay in the radio station because the town folk need to know what's coming. (laughs) I'm like, you 
are a very bad mother. Did I mention how <laughs> annoying her child was? Yeah, well, look, I hate kids. So if, if her whole point was, look, I'm not really attached to him. He's only eight years old. I can get over this. Then I will get behind that. But I find it hard to believe that nobody yeah. during the reading of this script said, boy, this is going to come off poorly for her. I, yeah. You know, it's funny because I've had that note for a long time, too. But I will say this last time watching it. Between her seeing the fog roll in and her house is on the water and her yelling, somebody help my son, somebody help my son. I think it's just that she can't physically get there on time. That's what it felt like this this time around. That's OK. That's a logical thing. Mm -hmm. But the people I know who have kids. Yeah. Would, 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 would go through every obstacle to get to their kid. And she so just put everything into this radio station. I, she can't let it fail. I get it. it <laughs> if it, it fails, she'll have to kill the child. She's a modern woman. Right. <laughs> she's got, she's career oriented. It doesn't work for me. I want her to be the lead and I want her to act like the lead. Yeah, yeah. I can completely understand that. Yeah. And I do agree in that there are some great characters but yeah, they're just none of them. They they all feel like pieces on a board. They feel like they're just being moved from place to place. They don't really feel like they create a beginning, middle, and end, or a hero's journey, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I do like, and I can't remember which town it is, but right at the beginning when she's on the radio and they're showing the shot of the coastline and the vehicle driving down it. She mentions the weather. I think it's in Kingsport. Uh, it's basically a Lovecraft reference. And I, and I was like, oh, that's nice. There, nice. there are actually a couple of different Lovecraft references um, in this, which I'll have, to, I'll have to look up for you. But I know I wrote them down somewhere. Oh, Arkham Reef. Arkham um, Reef. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whitley Point and Arkham Reef. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know... It's tough, too, because, like, I know... So, apparently, like, they were inspired to make this film when Deborah Hill and John Carpenter went to Stonehenge, and it happened to be a foggy day. Uh, and they they got the inspiration from a movie, like, an old British movie called The Crawling Eye, which oh, wow. was about monsters hiding in clouds. Mm -hmm. So, I think... I don't know. Maybe there was a lot of drugs or something going, maybe. going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess... <laughs> Most frustrating for me is I think there's a great movie in here. Yes. And uh, maybe they just didn't have the time. Maybe they were, you know, pushed to get this out really quickly or something like that. That opening scene is so clearly shot on a sound stage. It is. It's, it's yeah. so distracting. Yeah. And, and that's one of the fun facts I found is, yeah, it absolutely was. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why in the middle of the night, like her son is. I mean, she isn't a great mom, right? Her son is hanging out with some old <laughs> fisherman yes. around a campfire. So maybe I should have been okay with her not caring because she clearly doesn't care right from the start at all. He like wakes <laughs> her up and he's like, I just was playing in the sea and grabbed. I was standing on some slippery rocks and grabbed this wet piece of wood. Here it is. Like that was childhood when you were a kid in the 80s. That's man. true. You just I, disappeared for God knows how long. He says, don't worry. I wasn't there alone. That old man who likes to hang out with just a bunch of kids was there too. <laughs> That's right. It's all good. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I, I mean, I had that childhood too but I still it just no I love you mom uh, in case you I, listen I to think that sounds like a good thing yeah. uh, for me it was a very good thing yeah. but but I will say yeah like it it does have that element to it it's very authentic to its time but yeah I, I definitely can't 
as far as story beats, it, there's nothing. It, it's so problematic. It's so unbelievably problematic. But if you're just going to sit there and absorb something, it has so many great elements to it that I, I liked that, but I can see why what you're saying. Like it, there is a phenomenal, like top tier film in there. Yeah, it's confounding yeah. to me because Halloween is such a strong movie, and then he follows this with The Thing. Right. And right. you're like, wow, where where did he go right in those movies and completely go wrong? Also, a little nod to The Thing there. That's the vehicle that she was driving. Do you remember those? That was a Volkswagen Thing. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I think I read that at one point. That's why, why do I know more about this shitty movie than you? Uh, you know... <laughs> I'm younger than you. <laughs> I, have time. Wow. I have time to learn. Wow, I think we all knew that. But, <laughs> but that In case no one bears, knew. Bears repeating, I guess. <laughs> well used, though. Well used. All right, so who's who's going next here? Who else has a cursed object film? Because I've taken up way too much time on this. Eric, why don't you go next? Sure. I'm still smarting from that last comment. Okay, yes. I'm get a, sorry, get a it's not a bad thing. You're a distinguished, distinguished gentleman. Oh, man, you are not helping. <laughs> All righty. Is that bad? <clears throat> yes. Oh. Yes, it is. Oh. Ah, that was the problem. Anyways, um, <laughs> my headphones were not turned up enough. Going, Why do I sound so weird? Oh, that's just my voice. Uh, the I went with one that I'm sure was no surprise to Kelly whatsoever. <laughs> Fuck, I didn't write one. Oh, yeah, 2013's Oculus. I'm talking about this based on the Blu-ray that I own, but it's also on Prime and Hulu. It's all over the place, easy to find. Plus, as a bonus, I will speak briefly on the Oculus short film, which I believe was in 2005. Yeah, which I have not seen, but I've heard is incredible. Yeah, it's very good. So the film has a Rotten Tomatoes of 75 from the critics and 53 from the audience, which fits. I think the budget was a little higher than you might expect. It had a $5 million budget, but it, and it grossed worldwide, it grossed $44 million. So it did. That's too fine. shabby. Yeah. Part of the reason I think the budget was so long or large is this, this is a production of WWE Studios, Bloomhouse, Intrepid Pictures, MCA Entertainment, and Lasser Productions. Whoa, a lot of people <laughs> threw some cash in there. Jeez, man. Blumhouse. Blumhouse, yes. <laughs> Damn it. Damn that Barboa. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need to look online and find out how to pronounce her name. 
It's going to come up. I'm we sure. just Many told you how to pronounce it. Adrian Barbo. Barbo. <laughs> anyway. I need to make sure because I don't want wow. our listeners to be angry. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and anyways, this is directed by, uh, as many of you know, one of my favorite current directors in horrors, Mike Flanagan. He's a writer on this as well as Dr. Sleep, Hush, Absentia, The Upcoming Haunting of Bly House. So I guess mm. they changed the name. He wrote this in conjunction with Jeff Howard, who he's worked with on the short film. Uh, this stars Carrie and Gillian. It's her first U.S. film. She'd just gotten off of Doctor Who, and this was before she was shaved and painted blue for Guardians of the Galaxy. All right. Avengers, and she also is one of the main characters in the Jumanji movies. Yeah. And also Brenton Thwaites who's uh, Maleficent, Gods of Egypt, The Signal, Katie Sackoff from Battlestar Galactica and Riddick, uh, Rory Cochran from Argo 24, 50 episodes of CSI Miami, <laughs> and James Lafferty from The Haunting of Hill House and One Tree Hill. Ooh. So a pretty decent cast of confident actors. Um, so the it's fairly... As it seems to be with a lot of curse films, it's a fairly straightforward storyline in a lot of ways. Uh, it starts off with uh, the younger, it turns out to be the younger brother getting released from asylum because he'd been captured there for killing his uh, mother earlier on in life and his father. Uh, he's not hes not quite ready to go home, so when his sister, played by Karen, picks him up, she takes him to a hotel room instead of back to the house. What's going on with the house is that she has, if you find out, she's worked to acquire this cursed uh, mirror. Now, one thing that I find very interesting about this film, and I think why it works well, well Mike Flanagan is also the editor on it. And this is a very well-edited film going from different time periods where it goes back to when Katie Sackhoff was the mom experiencing the problems and there were kids and back to when they're adults. And what it does really well is it starts that off subtly. And as the movie progressive, it gets more and more aggressive in the way it moves from time frame to time frame. And so I think it, it's just an incredibly well edited film. And uh, the daughter remembers what really happened. And she's trying to convince the brother that that's what happened. So what she's doing is... She spent her whole life working up to be in antiquities so she could finagle a way for this mirror to be bought in a place where she, that had acquired it so she could basically steal it mm. and run experiments on it. And hey, when she's back in one of the warehouses checking out the mirror, the guy from the short film shows up and <laughs> shows her around for a little bit. Oh, that's what that's all about. <laughs> so... Uh, she brings the mirror back and convinces the brother to help her. And in a scene very reminiscent of the short film, they set up the idea is that this is a cursed, what do they call it? The uh, lesser glass or lesser, lesser glass. Um, and she tells the history of the glass. This is the kind of scene why I like Flanagan. This is the kind of scene that would be a boring, dumb mess by a lot of directors and a lot of editors because it is 14 minutes i think of her telling the history of the glass wow and just basically talking as she's showing images and stuff from the what this glass has done in the past over the hundred or some odd years history 
the pacing is amazing. The use, there are multiple cameras set up in the room to shoot the glass. So the use of the in-camera cameras and the real and the regular cameras is incredibly well done. It just goes back and forth in a really interesting manner. It tells you the whole story of what's going on and it keeps it interesting. So I thought that was kind of neat. It was a little weird though, because as she's telling the history of the story, she doesn't mention the short film guy, which I kind of thought would be one of the stories that they touched on, but yeah, it's probably for the best. <laughs> and there's, of course, one of the big problems in the film comes evident in this scene as well, where she has set up a fail switch of an anchor that will fall from the ceiling and hit the mirror. So you're kind of like, hmm, gee, how is that going to come into play later on? Yeah. The rest of that scene is set up very well. Um, the, they also do a nice conversation on memory theory and how uh, the, the brother's memory differs from hers. And is it the result of the doctor's or is it the mirror? What is, why is he remembering it differently than she does? So it's a, it's a decently smart film, too. What it does well, especially outside of the Blumhouse films or in the Blumhouse world, um, my biggest problem with a lot of Blumhouse movies, is, especially their ghost movies, is they basically start off right from the beginning being kind of creepy. And you have to build in a film. Mm. And so by the time they get to the end, it's suddenly some weird haunted action movie because there's so much shit going on that it's like, oh, OK, now it's just I'm not getting scared anymore because it's just nonstop going this one builds tension well it sets up the scene it shows the different areas like the plants and the dog they bring in don't worry the dog doesn't die <laughs> <laughs> better not be lying to us uh, nope 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 um, the so it sets up all the little clues of things of where you're going to see something happen later on and then delivers on them you know there aren't a lot of open-ended things going on in this film where, oh, well, that's too bad. I wish they'd explained what was going on there. Uh, other, other parts of the, the creepy factor come in the way when they're younger and they're kids, the powerlessness of being a kid and how at the mercy of your parents you are and their parents are going freaking nuts, but they're, they don't know what to do. At one point she runs out and grabs a I think a father-in-law and brings him back to the house because she's so scared and that doesn't work. So she becomes more lost in what to do. Uh, the, the, for most of his films, he directs children really well. And the kids are very good in this film. Actually, everybody's performances are really good. And that deliberate move forward as the movie starts to pace faster and faster uh, there are very, there's a couple sort of jump scares, but there really aren't very many. They're more, earn creepiness and the ones that are jump I think are well done uh, but I would say by the time you get to the end the main thing that hurts this film as we've talked in the past there are okay films that end so well that you're like oh that's a great movie thing it was a great last 15 minutes <laughs> this one almost goes the other way where it's a pretty damn good movie but the ending goes exactly where you expect it to go and that's a little disappointing. Um, so I think that's part of why this film was hurt so much. And it was also came out in the time where people were still doing, it's got a twist ending. It's like, 
No, it doesn't. Mm. <laughs> it really doesn't. It's funny that you say that because I definitely, I saw this film and I remember so many bits of it. I do not remember the ending. It must have been pretty unremarkable. Yeah, it is. It's exactly, you know, the mm-hmm. anchor falls. I remember the anchor falling. You know, so it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, all right. <laughs> oh, so I was listening to the audio commentary on this one. I think you're going to like one of the things Flanagan had to say. He said, thing about film is most people enter a film or around his age or our age enter a film program or want to make movies at all comes from a great love and respect for Jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, Initially, he was approached after the the short story was such a success. He was approached to do this film, but everybody that was coming to him wanted to do it as a found footage. And he's like, I'm not doing this as a found footage film. Right, because the short film was. No, it's very similar in style to this one. I mean, thought it was the, him setting up the cameras and talking into the camera yeah, the entire it, time. It's a form of, I mean, I, I guess, it, but it doesn't have the cliches of what makes a found right. film a problem. But yes, exactly, yeah. Um, but he's like, nope, not for this one. I want to do a movie. Which, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a ballsy move for somebody who really hasn't done, well, he Anything. hadn't done any major budget films at that point. Yeah, no. I think it's pretty cool that he stuck to his guns, actually, because mm-hmm. there's been just such a sea of found footage films. And even though I think it would have been a cool take on it, it's still. I think yeah. so. He had done Absentia before this right. was before I wake before this and then mired in all the release. I think problems. so. Yeah. OK. I believe that's what happened. He had a hard time, though, doing it as a feature because he kind of felt the short story told the whole story he wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And what really pushed him forward in the writing was that combination of timelines. Uh, he, he wanted to create a sense of distortion and disorientation that would uh, kind of keep the viewer on edge as they're watching it. Uh, they did have a problem originally writing that if doing exactly that. We're like, OK, this makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> so let's take another another pass at writing this. Here he comes again, inspired by the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Flanagan chose not to explain the full what what the mirror's past is, why it does what it does, and how it does what it does. It's just it it just is. It's an alien force that, if you were to try to comprehend it, completely would drive you mad. Uh, even in the world, doesn't have to have an answer. <laughs> the film wrapped on October twenty seventh, twenty twelve, after twenty four days of shooting. Wow. And uh, they they liked it enough that he is able to get a two extra days out of him. The film has been remade in Bollywood. Oh my God! <laughs> really? Little Zahak. Ah, oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Title later changed to Dabara See Your Evil." Mike Flanagan was the executive producer. Oh wow! Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> the DVD has <clears throat> the DVD has some extra scenes. Um, one I thought they should have left in is a brother and sister. Uh, kind of explaining more of what they're about and their relationship was just a neat, well-done scene. And uh, what? And they also had a coda at the end of the film showing the glass getting back into circulation. Um, there's an, and a neat scene that was cut had um, Zakoff's character with the two children behind him, and the two children are arguing at each other, but they're using the words of the, their parents arguing. Hmm. So, oh, and there's sure. so much of this film where you're going, is this real? Is this an illusion? What is going on? And I think that scene would have pumped that up even more. It's a neat scene. It's not a tragedy that was cut, but it's a neat scene. 
So that's the feature. Ooh. And now the short film. <laughs> the short film came out in 20, 2005. I didn't find any real ratings for it. Uh, it's a budget of $1,500. According Whoa. To, yeah, according to Flanagan on the uh, commentary, he mentioned that. Uh, but it won a dozen or more Best Film or Best Actor awards from film festivals, including the Tabloid Witch Awards. Oh. <laughs> We won. We won one of those for us. Oh, cool. Film. I was like, that's that something I mean, haven't heard of. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything cool. to me. Uh, director, Flanagan, writer, Je- Mike and Jeff, uh, stars Scott Graham, who was also in Absentia. Uh, the, I hadn't watched this in a long time. So since I'd watched it last, I've probably seen God knows how many thousands of short films. So I'm going, I wonder if this is still going to hold up for me. God Damn, it does. Really? It is still so good, even though it breaks what I almost consider a cardinal rule of short films. It's almost half an hour long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. But if it's good. Yeah, exactly. And it's smart filmmaking because mm-hmm. it's all one room. It's largely one actor. There's a few others that show up and a few things, but nothing more than like extras, featured extras level. Uh, the mirror is very similar, though it's obviously much smaller, uh, which kind of feels a little more practical. The one in the movie is uncomfortably large. Right. <laughs> um, the the one actor, though, is quite good. I think uh, they set it up with um, alarms, so there's the ability to have weird scares that are kind of jump scares, but not really, because you know they're coming at some point. Uh, the sound is used well, almost to the point of being annoying, which I think works for what they're doing with the film. Uh, it is largely reproduced. The setup is completely reproduced in the film, but with much, much newer and much more expensive gear. <laughs> you know, like he's got little old computers in there. There's a, a plug in the wall phone kind of thing. <laughs> old alarms while you go to the new one and he's got Mac computers and nice security system cameras all through the house but uh they you and they use a plant the same way in the short that they do in the film and they have a dog that they use similarly dog doesn't die per se but he does disappear Mm. (laughs) so and the breakdown of the history of the mirror is fairly similar it's a lot more graphic and uh longer in the feature the music in the short is amazing but the part that brings it together is Flanagan's directing and uh, Scott Graham's acting. Just make it work. And the, again, he edited. The pacing is incredibly good. I remember watching it again, looking down at the time. Oh, wow. Holy shit. This thing's half over already. All right. <laughs> so those are my cursed item films. <laughs> <laughs> so is that short still available to watch on YouTube? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. I wasn't sure if they would have taken it down since they... They, and added it, it as like an extra on it the It became DVD. very hard for a while when the DVD and Blu-ray first came out because sure. it was a featured extra. Gotcha. But uh, now it's fairly readily back. available on YouTube. <laughs> they got it. They got it back out yep. there. I've seen that feature twice now, mm-hmm. and I can barely remember any of it. <laughs> it it does absolutely nothing for me. So I, I was I knew that you would probably go for this, but I thought you would stick with the short film, which I do remember everything of. Yeah. I, the short film's in a hell of achievement, man. I think it's yeah. All right, then. <clears throat> My cursed object is a book. 
Of course. Not a candle, not a doorknob, but a book. My <laughs> God. Would you like to continue? <laughs> no, I'm just really excited to hear what you chose. I chose a movie from 1989 called I Madman. information on it, although it looks gorgeous, which makes the box office really disappointing. Uh, $151,000. No! Just a film festival thing or something? I don't know. That seems too high to be film festival stuff. I think it... I don't know. Maybe it played for a week or two weeks or something like that. In one country. Right. (laughs) Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. The critics have it at 60%. The audience has it at 39%. Ouch! Well, I can kind of see it because this is an unusual film and in a couple of ways maybe unsatisfying if you're going in for standard horror fare, which it is not. It was directed by Tibor Takax, who directed The Gate. Ah, And also, uh, my babysitter is a vampire. (laughs) And dozens of TV movies. (laughs) It was written by David Chaskin, who wrote The Curse, which I spoke about on a Lovecraft film, and Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And it stars Jenny Wright, who was also in The Wildlife. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you looked at me for that. (laughs) I'm sorry I didn't see it, okay? (laughs) She was also in Near Dark. Uh, but I love it because this stars her. She is absolutely the lead of this oh, film. Nice. She was also in The Lawnmower Man, which I did not choose for my Lovecraft yeah. or my Stephen, Stephen King, King movie. Yeah, no. 
Mm-hmm. And it stars Clayton Rohner, who was in at least one episode of every single TV series you've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, this guy's got like 400 credits, and it's all 80s television. And he's just a very handsome-looking dude. Handsome dude, one. Not a particularly good actor, unfortunately. Aww. So Jenny Wright plays Virginia, who works in a bookstore and loves horror novels. She is definitely one of the tribe. Uh, we <laughs> totally glom onto her from like moment one. She's reading a horror book and she's like, her eyes are wide and she's turning the pages frantically and everything. And you realize, oh, this chick loves to be scared. So who didn't love that stuff? Uh, she reads this one book and then finds out that this author, this particular author has written one other book and she works at a bookstore so she decides to start and it's a it's a used bookstore this is 1989 so this is when bookstores existed and it wasn't just uh barnes and noble (laughs) and so she starts doing a search for this book and it's called i Matman. but there is like no information available at all it's uh it's one of those kind of stories eric that you and i both love it's like Oh, oh this book And she's even talking to the other gal who works there saying, you know, I need you to do some research on this. And, you know, if you could just help me find this. And the gal's like, "Okay, whatever. Uh, Virginia comes home from work one day and there is a package on her doorstep. Uh Oh, and she opens it up and it is a tattered copy of I, Madman. And she's super excited. What a lovely gift. Yes, exactly. That's Uh, what she thinks. Somebody (laughs) knew exactly what she wanted and they went out of their way to give it to her. I think that's great. End of movie. Well, she assumes it is her friend at the bookstore who doesn't um, who doesn't help things when when she vaguely answers uh, Virginia when she says, did you send that book to me? And instead of saying it wasn't me, she says, well, it was the book you were looking for, right? Oh, no. <laughs> so, Who says that? Nobody. <laughs> so, uh, so she just thinks, oh, okay, she found this book for me. And she starts reading it. It is a creepy book. (laughs) (laughs) Do we see, do we get to go into the book? Yes, because as she reads the scenes, she is suddenly in the book. And so what's happening is happening to her. She's all dressed up in a different outfit and everything. And it's set in the fifties. And is it like a fantasy version or? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's in her head. Okay, got it. She hasn't been sucked into the book. No. No Jumanji book. No. She, she, yeah, she just becomes the protagonist in her own mind. It's, it's, uh, it's actually um, really stylized and very clever. The, the lighting in this movie is so gorgeous, and it really shines in these scenes and kind of sets it apart from the realism of the other scenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks like it's uh, out of, you know, the birds or something like that in technicolor. And, you know, it, nice. you can almost see the grain in the film, all wow. this stuff. It's really, really cool. So the story in the book is about a man who has been spurned by a woman because she finds him ugly. And so to fix this, he cuts off his face and decides to start with a blank slate. So he starts killing women and cutting off various parts of them to make a new face for himself. For himself? What? He doesn't Killing judgy women? much? Wow. I mean, if, holy cow! If he I I would have expected some of the shit from Eric, but lesbian? not from you. Wow. I'm just saying, if you're doing it for another person, you should make sure Eric, that you cut all this out before we get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I, uh. No, is it a Buffalo Bill kind of thing, or is? Yeah, he's 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 oh, okay. making a new face for himself out of women's parts, probably meantime, because he's got nothing. Like he's well, just got like red goo. Yes. It's pretty oh. gruesome stuff. It's pretty gruesome stuff. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Um, but as she continues to read the story, she then starts reading the news and like <laughs> the murder she just read in the story happened last night in the real world as well. And she's like, what? What is going on here? And so enter Clayton Romer, her boyfriend, who just happens to be a police detective. Uh-huh. Ah, convenient. Con- yes. Yeah, super convenient. <laughs> well... Unless you're trying to tell him that you think that the murders he's investigating are because she read about them in a book that doesn't really exist. So good. He's having a hard time believing her, as you may imagine. (laughs) Especially because uh, she's such a horror hound. He's just like, you know, when when we first see him and her together, he's she's scared when he shows up at his at her place. And he realizes, you know, he looks down at this copy of the book and he's like, "Eh, this is why you're scared. (laughs) You're always reading these these trashy novels. <laughs> actually, Those women and yeah. their trashy horror films. He, he actually comes off as kind of a chump. Because it's Jenny Wright, and she's fucking gorgeous. She can do whatever she wants, right? <laughs> Just go along with it, bro. Right. Um, so this leads us to her having to, of course, take care of this herself. The police are going to be no help because every time they do kind of pay attention to her, it doesn't turn out the way that it was supposed to. Uh, she she knows that this this killer is going to strike in a museum because she just read it. And so the police stake out the museum and nothing except mm-hmm. on the other side of town at the other museum they weren't staking out. <laughs> the murder occurred. <laughs> How many museums does this fucking town need? Yeah, just stake a few police at A and a few at B. Done and done. Anyhow, so she's going to have to battle the killer alone. And the third act gets fucking crazy. Now, a lot of people don't like this third act. And it's because it gets weird. There's a lot of weird symbolism going on. And then it then there's a uh, a very very bizarre stop motion demon that yes. shows up excellent yes. and um pages exploding out of a, a building and all <laughs> and, i mean really cool visuals uh there's a there's a book avalanche in the bookstore That's where she's cool. like she's running away up these stairs that have been piled with books while all the books suddenly fall and she's like sliding down and everything it's really really cool visuals but it it absolutely makes zero sense. That's probably why the audience rating is so low. This movie doesn't really make sense. It's kind of got a dream logic feel to it. Uh, and, and if I step away from it, uh, let me just put it out there right now. I love this movie. I fucking think it's brilliant. But when I step away from it, I can also go, this makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she's the lead, and she's really smart and competent and independent. Until the third act, when she starts acting a little differently, kind of mousy and not like she was, to the point where you can only assume that she's being directed to act this way because she was not this way in the other parts of the film. So it's kind of like, why, why now? Regardless of all of that, this is a really fun movie. It's a really neat looking movie. Uh, It's just, just gorgeous. That's also one of the weird things. It feels like a B movie. 
but it looks like a, a movie for sure. Uh, that's why I, I, you know, I was searching everywhere to find some kind of budget on this, and and like you know, it had to be a couple million at least in 1989, and everything, you know, all the money is on the screen. I'm sure, and for it to only 161,000, that's that's where where painful. is it available? Yeah, now? that's what I was gonna say. Is it impossible uh, to find? You know what? No, um, Shell Factory has a lovely DVD of it. Of course. Excellent. <laughs> I'm going to go there right now. What's interesting is Scream Factory had an amazing version of it. That's sold out. And the only difference when I looked at everything is a cover. The cover is oh, different on the yeah. Scream Factory version. Oh, interesting. But everything else is in there. The uh, director commentary, writer commentary, all that stuff. It's um, the oh. sets are... Whoa. It doesn't look like it's currently available. Oh, no. <laughs> you got the last it's, copy. It's $44. I don't even have the copy. I have, a, I have a bare bones DVD. Oh, no. Yeah, $44 on uh, Amazon. Oh, bummer. Well, 44 bucks is not too it's shabby not for this. I mean, it's probably a $29 bit anyway. Uh, Jenny Wright is great. The sets are beautiful. It's a really neat original idea. And, oh, guess what? In my notes, Shell Factory sold out edition. Oh, oh, there you go. Oh. With director's commentary and interviews and a making of. So, we'll I don't know. I know people if like... If you really want it, you can still get it. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I, you know, about a year ago, um, Danny Williford and I were chatting back and forth and I had recommended this film to him and he picked it up and I know that he ended up really liking it. So, don't just take my advice, take Danny's. Also, it would be worth looking, I think for um there's on the shout factory website i believe there's actually a way to stream a lot of their content yeah, they have some they have a streaming well channel, they have a streaming channel i wonder if that'd be something that's available there it might there. be it hmm. might be it tends to be not a lot of titles at least the times i've looked at oh it. i thought i, I thought, thought there was that a lot. It, yeah i thought there were thousands on there the last time i looked through there uh, a lot of tv yeah, shows yeah a lot of old stuff. tv yes. stuff you don't yeah, really want to watch but yeah yeah so anyway, uh, I, comma, Madman. Really cool, really fun, cursed book. Sounds awesome. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Wow, okay. This is a good week. There's been some really good picks. Seems like the, the common thread here is good lighting. <laughs> cursed object, good lighting. There you go. Hey, I got to say, if there was a winner of these three films, <laughs> it's probably mine. What? And you guys wouldn't even be able to know because you can't watch it now. I, so <laughs> you're just going to take my word for you're it. You're just going to claim it every week. Yes. That is what but he will that's do. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> I was hoping that, like, you know, we nope. were all going to have a fighting chance here. Nobody likes a sore loser, Vanessa. I, no. <laughs> I'm not going to start picking films that I think will beat your film. I'm going to pick the films that I think are interesting or I want to complain about for a, like, nice 20-minute period. There you go. In front of people. Well, all right. Since it is my pick for the subgenre, Ooh. and since this is sold out on Shell Factory, <laughs> I'm going to pick, because we did a couple weeks back, uh, the Scream Factory catalog. I want to pick something from Shell Factory this time. Mm -hmm. Nice. So that will expand... Yeah, style let's, let's keep it about kind of genre. So, okay. Um, there are plenty of comedies on Shout Factory. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's exactly what we want to be talking about <laughs> on our podcast. What about, I know there's a ton of like crime films, like action-y. Yeah, I think that. Oh, we just had Cobra. Yeah. 
I know. Last week. I guess that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think that, I mean, and that's a genre. And I suppose, you know, dramedy is a genre too. It's just not one I want you guys talking about. (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, I have a a few ideas. Oh, cool, cool. So, yeah, they need to endorse us. They need to start sending us, it's, like, a box of there stuff. There you go. Especially after both of your shitty experiences with them and not getting the DVDs right forever. <laughs> I know. I, that scratched copy of, I think it was The Fog. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, the scratched metal. And then they sent me the new. Anyway, it was fine. We got yeah. it sorted. It, but, I had the same thing. Well, not the same thing. But I had a weird thing, too, where I got the Omen box set with two copies of the Omen 2. And no copies of the original. I love that so much. So I contacted them. Double. (laughs) Double the okay one. But so I contacted them. Like, oh, sorry. And they sent me the a copy of the remake. So I had two copies of two and two copies of the remake. But hey, this last week I got the new one. They're all set. They're solid. Fantastic. And And now guess who has Blu-ray copies of the remake and (laughs) Damien Oman too? Who's got two thumbs (laughs) and is waving them ridiculously at his own face? That guy. Yep, me. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's the show. Thank you so much to everybody, all the stalwarts who are always commenting and liking, sharing and everything. We have zero advertising budget. So the only way we get out to other people is when you guys are sharing the stuff. We really appreciate it. Yes, Absolutely. Thank yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. We yeah. finally had a five star. So it's open for another one. We're ready. Get We're, out there. He's Here's ready. Five star rating. I'm not going to do it. I rated the podcast, but I can only give it three stars. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what? He needs work. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I got your notes. Okay. I'm trying to <laughs> ship shape it. All right. I love you guys. And I love everybody who's listening and Everybody, I hope, is keeping safe out there, social distancing, doing whatever your state requires you to do. And we will be back in one week with Shell Factory. Sweet. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, wherever fine podcasts are found. This week at Macy's, get an extra 25% off the season's latest styles with your coupon or Macy's card. That's on top of already great savings, like 20 to 50% off Ink, DKNY, Clubroom, and more of your favorite designers for him and her. Get 30% off one pair, 40% off two pairs of boots, shoes, and booties. And prep your kitchen with 20 to 50% off roasting pans, cookware, and more. Plus, Star Rewards members earn rewards faster during Star Money bonus days, now at Macy's. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.